And you're here. Thanks for choosing the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Your quest for podcasts of the paranormal, supernatural, and the unexplained ends here. We invite you to enjoy all our shows we have on this network. And right now, let's Let's start start with with Shades of the Afterlife with Sandra Champlain. The thoughts and opinions expressed by the host are thoughts and opinions only and do not necessarily reflect those of iHeartMedia, iHeartRadio, Coast to Coast AM, employees of Premier Networks or their sponsors and associates. You are encouraged to do the proper amount of research yourself, depending on the subject matter and your needs. Hi, I'm Sandra Champlain. For almost 25 years, I've been on a journey to prove the existence of life after death. On each episode, we'll discuss the reasons we now know that our loved ones have survived physical death. And so will we. Welcome to Shades of the Afterlife. How is your day going? Are you feeling powerful? Are you feeling happy? I've started doing some daily thoughts of the day videos. Each day, I share an inspiring quote to help all of us live a happier life with some follow-up words about the topic. Life isn't so easy, so if I can help to inspire in just a few minutes a day, I'm going to do that. If you're interested, just go to YouTube and search for Sandra Champlain, and you'll find my thoughts of the day. A few days ago, I was blessed to be the moderator of a question and answer session with the filmmakers of the new award-winning film called Living with Ghosts. The movie follows a grieving widow and talks about things like automatic writing and IADC therapy, which is a grief therapy, which stands for Induced After Death Communication. Well, on this Q&A, there were three panelists. There was the filmmaker, Stephen Berkeley. There was Professor Jan Holden, who is the president of IAMS, which is the International Association for Near-Death Studies, and Counselor Graham Maxey, who has been treating grief and trauma very effectively for over 30 years. The conversation was just fantastic. And I think you'll be really interested with what the three of them said about life and the afterlife and this therapy. We're going to start with a story from Graham Maxey, and he shares about when he first started dating his wife, and he found out she was a medium. It's incredible. It was on our third date, um, and uh, both of us have been married before, but uh, uh, on our third date, I brought a book with me to her apartment. I said, you know, she's going to be interested in this, and she picked up the book and immediately winced, like, oh, and and I was like, what, you know? And she said, this isn't your book. And I said, well, it was given to me by a friend. And she said, did your friend shoot himself in the head? Yes. Was he left-handed? Yes. Was his name Don? Yes. Was he married to Barbara? Yes. He says, Don's here, and he says that there's a note that he left that Barbara hasn't found yet. And he wants you to call her and tell her where to find the note. And I did, and she did. And in that 30 second exchange, uh, the world kind of changes a lot, you know? 
but uh, it was through her that I met Jan, basically. Uh, Shannon was doing some gallery readings around Dallas-Fort Worth area and invited Jan, and Jan was gracious enough to come, and I met her, and Jan invited uh, us. I could not go, but she invited us to the demonstration of IADC, and Shannon came home and said, Graham, I think you need to go to Chicago. And she told me about it. And I said, I think you're right. And uh, I did. And actually, I wrote a book uh, after, it was about five years later after that, that uh, I, I haven't, still haven't published yet. But I sent a copy to uh, Dr. Botkin. He liked it. And Kind of from there, he recruited me to go to uh, Germany. He'd been there a couple of times, and his health was not, he's got terrible back problems. He can't fly, and so he asked me to go in his stead, and I started doing training through an interpreter, which is interesting. Uh, also interesting is trying to demonstrate this through an interpreter. You know, when you're, do when you're doing IDC therapy through a third party, that's exciting. It's really the most exciting. I've been a I've been a therapist since 1983, and this is the most exciting form of therapy I've ever gotten to do, because uh, people walk in to your office and they're depressed. They're some of them aren't even functioning, and uh, 90 minutes later they walk out and they're different, and you know they come back the next time and it's most of the time you know we have uh, an have had an after-death communication, which is, uh, as it was for me, kind of life-changing. So uh, the, the, the cherry on top, though, is that you don't have to worry as a therapist about, hey, are they going to get an ADC? Because as somebody in Botkin's book, uh, which I hope you'll, you'll get and read, said, um, one of the people from the other side said, hey, we're in charge of that, not you. You know, so just don't worry about it. But whether you get an after-death communication or not, the intensity of the grief and the amount of difficulty that that's charging your life with is substantially and incredibly uh, reduced to the point that people can function again. And, and I've never seen that fail, never, since I started this in 2006. So that's that's something you hang on to every time you go into a session. That's a big deal. I mean, grief has the power to get us looking for answers and start us on our spiritual journey and some good things, but also it can also kill us inside. And I know many people who have been grieving their loved it, ones. It can actually it can actually years. hurt you at a cellular level, you know. Really? Yeah. What is IADC therapy and how did it come about? Do you mind sharing a little bit about that, Graham? No. Um, you know, Bakken was doing uh, trauma therapy with veterans up at the VA for 20 years. And uh, the model at the time was, was kind of, uh, we're going to go over this so many times. Uh, it, it's called exposure therapy, basically. You know, and we're going to go over it and over it and over it and over it. And uh, it's going to lose some of its power that way. And then he discovered eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, which is a psychophysiological model. It's not just uh, talk therapy. 
And uh, he was very amazed by it. And he said it was kind of like the difference between putting a motor in your car and just pushing it around town all day long, you know, by yourself. And um, he made some modifications to it. Uh, one of the differences, the key difference really is between IDC and EMDR is EMDR starts right from uh, the present presenting symptom. You know, like if you have an upset stomach, you know, we're going to focus on that. Or if you have a headache, we're going to focus on that. What IDC does is say, we're going to start with the assumption that you're here for grief. And uh, we're going to build the story. We're going to we're going to let you tell the story. We're going to build it till we find the the part of that story that is the most distressing for you right now. And that's the that's the the re, real key element in this is uh, finding that. And then once you do it. Uh, you use the bilateral stimulation in conjunction with their going back into that moment or that that symbol or whatever it is. It can be a lot of different things. And uh, once you've taken that intensity down, which happens in tens of minutes, if not less, that's just spooky, you know, that that even happens. But um, once you do that, you're in a place, I've always said, you know, after death communication is not in your face. It's not going to go, you know, blah. It's, <laughs> it's very subtle communication. And if you're in intense grief, it's kind of like trying to look at the stars when the sun is out. It's starlight is there, but it's very subtle compared to the sun. So when we take the, the sun, get it to set, you know, you're free to see what else is there. And that's, that's kind of my nutshell version of IDC. When the people are doing the therapy with you, are they talking through it? Yes, they are talking. You know, I invite them to talk about their loved one, who they were and about their passing, and lots of people, lots of them have told me that just that part of it is healing for them. Being able to say, this is who this person was to me, and this is who they were, uh, this is how I experienced their, their passing. Because most of the people that they encounter don't want to intrude, and don't want to get them to cry, and they don't want to be you know, this is very private, so I don't want to, I, and they don't get the chance to do that, which is probably one of the most healing things you can do for somebody in grief is tell me who this person was that you're missing and how, you know, tell me the details of how horrible it was for them to go. So that's the talking part. And then we, we you know, zero in on one part and uh, then they don't talk, you know, then we do the bilateral stimulation, and then they just report, you know, what's happened? What's happened now? How do you, how are you, what are you noticing? Where are you noticing it? All that kind of stuff, which is uh, not particularly verbal. No. It's experiential. And have they reported that they actually feel a presence of their loved one? Most of them encounter it. You know, this is, I'm not seeing this person standing in front of me. Uh, a couple of people have told me they've gone home and started 
Once you know the way there, you know the way there. You don't have to come to my office to do it. A few of them have said, you know, I was sitting there writing down a few things and I looked up and there he was standing in the door, you know, things like that. But most of it is inner perception. I'm going to stop here just because I want to say a few things before we go into our break, talking about this IADC therapy. In fact, you can find out more at InducedADC.com. It is a grief therapy, but it's something like over 90% of the clients actually feel a reconnection with their loved one. They use either this eye movement, so you follow somebody's finger, left, right, left, right, having these experiences, or in the movie itself, they show people tapping on their knees, left, right, left, right. And then there's also a method, it's almost like someone hugging themselves and they're able to tap themselves on the different sides of their chest as they're going through this therapy. The book he was talking about is Induced After Death Communication by Dr. Alan Bodkin. So we'll be back in just a minute. You're listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Hey folks, we need your music. Hey, it's producer Tom at Coast to Coast AM and every first Sunday of the month, we play music from emerging artists just like you. If you're a musician or a singer and have recorded music you'd like to submit, it's very easy. Just go to coasttocoastam.com, click the Emerging Artist banner in the carousel, follow the instructions, and we just might play your music on the air. Go now to coasttocoastam.com to send us your recording. That's coasttocoastam.com. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. 
In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is George Norrie, and you're listening to the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Thanks for being here. Now let's get back to more with Sandra. Welcome back to Shades of the Afterlife. I'm Sandra Champlain, and we are here with Stephen Berkeley, Professor Jan Holden, and therapist Graham Maxey, talking about the movie Living with Ghosts and the amazing grief therapy-induced ADC. And as a side effect, people feel connected with their loved ones. So I'd like to introduce you to Stephen Berkeley and have him tell you a little bit about why he created this film. My dad died. That's how it started. And I went down to Florida with my brothers to basically take care of whatever needed to be taken care of while my mom was in severe bereavement. My mom had a really, really tough time. And I don't know if it was tantamount to a disorder, but I would say she was way up there in terms of the severity of her grief. So We got her a grief counselor. We got her into a support group. We got her into to attend religious services. Nothing was effective at all. It was very alarming for all of us. We really could. She was not functioning and we needed to do something. And we ended up actually leaving her in that condition. Unfortunately, we just got some some friends of hers to kind of like help her just process. But we had to get back to our lives and we were living away from the state. At some point, maybe it's only a few weeks later, my mother's voice in a, in a phone call changed a little bit. She seemed a little bit lighter. And what I found out from her was that she, well, this is what she said to me. Stevie, I think your father's still here. <laughs> so I didn't know what to make of that. But she explained to me that she thought there was a blinking light in the house. And we have a, uh, she has a neighbor who's very open-minded who said, oh, that blinking light must be your husband saying hello. But whatever it was, that was great. She was feeling better and she was feeling lighter and she was having these conversations with a blinking light. Well, a week later, she started to reverse course. She was no longer as chipper as she was when I first spoke to her. And I found out my mother made the mistake of sharing the blinking light story with their grief counselor, who said, no, Irene, that's a a short-term solution to a long-term problem. That's not going to really help you over the long run. So this was very upsetting for me. And I kind of decided then and there that maybe it was time to kind of bring my cameras down there 
and and film my mother going through this journey because there's more to well, I'm more to it than that, but that's it in a, in a nutshell. Now let's meet Professor Jan Holden, who is the president of IANS, which is the International Association for Near-Death Studies, author and many other things. As you said, I was a professor of counseling at the University of North Texas, and part of a professor's job is to do research. I had done my doctoral dissertation on something related to near-death experiences. So all the while that I was uh, on faculty at UNT, I researched the interface between near-death experiences and related experiences that I call transpersonal experiences because they're uh, experiences in which a person transcends the usual personal limits of space-time identity and influence. So they include things like after-death communication, which is the um, the subject of <coughs> the Living with Ghost documentary. Longer story shorter, uh, I had gone to um, Chicago to uh, study with Al Botkin, uh, train with him uh, to learn the IADC technique myself. I went with three or four of my students when we got back here to the Dallas area, we actually met right here. This is my home office. And we practiced on each other until we felt um, really ready to offer our services to our clients. Just that experience of working with each other was so amazing. And I really came to believe that uh, IADC offered something unique to people who are grieving like a unique, it was a unique healing process, but no one had ever done research on it. So I designed the study to compare IADC with traditional grief counseling and see if in fact people experienced more relief from their grief symptoms with IADC than with traditional grief counseling. And um, long story short, the answer was yes. Our participants in the IADC group showed significantly greater reduction in their grief symptoms than uh, the people who received traditional grief counseling. So um, it confirmed what I had suspected. And then somehow I got on Steve's radar uh, as he was well along in producing his documentary and came to be part of that because of its relevance to the topic of the documentary. The communication can come uh, through hearing, either hearing a voice in the environment or hearing in the mind's ear, so to speak. It can come through touch, yes. and it can be even just a, a nondescript but just absolutely distinct sense of the presence of the disembodied person. So, or, or even smell. Mm -hmm. Or smell, right. And just to clarify, in case everybody doesn't know what uh, bilateral stimulation is, it's the rhythmic stimulating of the uh, back and forth of the nervous system. So initially in eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, it was that uh, the therapist would move their fingers back and forth. And the by looking right and left, right and left, it's bilateral, you know, it's uh, stimulating the two sides of the body. And since then, 
we know that we can use um, sound, you know, bing, 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 or we can use touch, which is kind of our favored approach in IEDC right now is to tap the backs of the uh, the person's hand like you saw in the in the film. We do a series of those. So there'll be some bilateral stimulation with, with the client with their eyes closed and then um, stopping and letting whatever's happening in them um, happen. And then they open their eyes and report what they've been experiencing. And you just kind of talk about that a little bit and then go back and proceed from there, you know, with more bilateral stimulation, eyes closed, and then get a report and do that several times. And and it's usually during that process after after processing that core sadness that Graham was referring to that uh, clients spontaneously have some sense of the presence of their deceased loved one. If they don't, then uh, we might ask a question. Never do we say, you know, um, try to conjure up the image of the person. We're always uh, asking questions that's related to the grief, but that can help facilitate the experience. And about 75% or so of people, would you say, Graham? That was the first statistic that came out, and that's that's Uh pretty old at this point. Uh-huh. Personally, you know, me keeping track of what's happened in my office, it's more like 92 or 3. Wow, great. Yeah. That's huge. We've got a question from Meg. She says, in the film, which I loved, you described a tapping technique on the back of the hands. Can someone do this on their own? And how does this technique differ from EFT or shamanic syncopated beats? Or is it similar? Well, not being that knowledgeable about shamanic rhythmic beats, we do know that one of the ways this works is a traumatic experience is encoded differently in our in our brain than other experiences are. It comes in, you know, basically sight, sound, you know, whatever sense comes in and immediately goes to the amygdala from, you know, and it gets processed to the hippocampus and, you know, it forms this nice little tight memory loop that has no cognizance uh, you know there, there's nothing you don't think about it it's just there so every time you go back to those groups of neurons you know something triggers you know hell, a remembrance of it it just plays the way it's always been and it just stays there and there's something about the bilateral stimulation that encodes a new you know while you're reliving that memory it's enlisting you know this forebrain this, this prefrontal cortex into the loop and so you're actually doing a full brain memory forming a full brain memory instead of a partial brain memory and and that qualitatively changes the memory from that point on so you can think about the person without triggering the trauma again i know there's something to bilateral stimulation all on its own they used to train our psychic spies the the army intelligence corps actually trained their people using bilateral stimulation there's some neurological stuff we don't quite understand but that's what i just said is kind of what we understand the significance of bilateral stimulation to be in alleviating trauma shamanic i don't know so much about i'm very open to you know we're not the first people that figured out any way to help people you know this is 
This has been going on a long time. And this is not the only form that, that help can arrive in. Stephen, you know, has highlighted probably one of the better ways of doing that, which uh, is journaling. You know, a dedicated journaling practice where people are getting it out of their body. They're not just sitting with thoughts. They're not just sitting with emotions. They're actually using their nervous system to get it out. In the practice of that, many people notice, wait a minute, there's something else going on here besides me just writing stuff down. Before I, I knew about IDC, you know, one of the favorite methods of, of grief therapy was called empty chair work, which is you'd sit and have the client speak to their deceased father or son or whoever it was, and then they change places and pretend to be the father and son. So what do you say to that, you know? And there were some times when people would come out of those sessions and say, I didn't expect to hear that. And then they'd leave the offices and, and remember, oh, well, that was just pretend. And it kind of took a lot of the magic out of it. This is different because we're not pretending anything. You're, you're doing it as we speak. It's part of a continuum of healing that we're accessing that the human being has as part of its equipment. We'll be back with more in just a minute. You're listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Thanks for listening to the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Make sure and check out all our shows on the iHeartRadio app or by going to iHeartRadio.com. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpert. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut. And I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the new iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Now let's get back to Shades of the Afterlife with Sandra Champlain. Welcome back to Shades of the Afterlife. I'm Sandra Champlain, and we are with our panel of guests from the Living with Ghosts movie. I know from taking mediumship courses myself, the spirit world and our soul works through our imagination. So sometimes our loved ones are there, or we get a whiff of a cologne or a cigar, and we think, just my imagination. And it's like, yes and no, they, they are. Here. Yes, it, it, imagine, if you say, is it just my imagination? The answer is yes. The, the question is, what is your imagination? It's like, you know, what is television? You know, it has lots of different channels. You know, you can go to, you know, the cartoon channel. You know, that's kind of made up. You know, somebody drew that, you know, all right. But you can also go to the Discovery Channel or something. And, and usually there's something that you say, you yeah, those are people actually doing that, you know, but it's coming through the same medium. So is it all made up? No, it's not mm-hmm. any more than your imagination is. Yeah, I <clears throat> I want to jump in because in the early literature on after death communication, spontaneous after death communication, uh, it was referred to as hallucinations mm-hmm. of the grieving, which made it sound like it was made up or um, uh, not not real. And um, one of the phenomena that I've focused on both with near-death experiences and after-death communication is called veridical perception. And that's where in the experience, the person, the experiencer, based on the condition, position of the person's body, they shouldn't know things that they learned through the experience. And so a perfect example is what Graham was talking about when Shannon picked up that book and said, Don's wife has not yet found a note that he left for her. And it's located here. And so Graham then calls Don's wife and says, I got this, had this experience, and supposedly there's this note that Don left for you that you haven't found yet, and it's located here. And then she goes to that location, finds the note. So Shannon got information that there is no explanation 
for how she could have known this very specific, accurate information. And the literature on near-death experiences is replete with examples like this and after-death communication as well. Now, in in near-death experiences, a lot of that has been pulled together in a book called The Self Does Not Die. For ADC, we haven't yet pulled it together in one location, but I know some authors who are working on, on that. And so the point of this is that these, as just as Graham was saying, these are not just uh, made up experiences. Veridical perception shows that the experiences have objective reality to them. Uh, and not all of them do, but, uh, but many of them do. So it can help people not discount the experience they had because when people, you know, our culture is um, very discounting, generally speaking, of these experiences. If an experiencer discounts the experience, then they stop themselves from garnering the healing from the experience. So it's important for people to realize that uh, this is this is more than imagination uh, in the sense of being made up and uh, that there is something genuine, objective about these experiences. And if the experiencer can accept that, then they can go on to really ask the important question of, you know, what does this mean for my life? Uh, How can I use this experience to move forward uh, in a, a healed and constructive kind of way? Thanks, Jan. Thanks, guys. Stephen, let's move over to you. Could you talk a little bit about the writing and the journal? And Graham had brought it up, but I think it's so important. Not everyone's going to have IADC therapy, but everybody's got paper and a pen. And could you talk about including that in the film and what it is and how it really can make a difference? Because it certainly does. Okay, well, what I was capturing was a particular kind of journaling Ethel and both and my mother were both doing automatic writing. I, I've also been heard called transpersonal journaling, or Jan, you would know what it's called also. But um, I, I know that the just the act of writing is very important, as Graham was saying. In the case of Ethel and my mom, they were actually looking for feedback. I know in Ethel's case, it came very quickly. I think I don't think it comes that quickly for most people. Most people who, who in dabble and automatic writing, they have to try it every day at a certain time they pick over and over and over again. And usually, I think at least 30 days was what one author of an automatic writing book, Loanne Mayer, um, she she does mention that you, you got to practice, you got to try it every day for 30 days. And, and then maybe that's when something will happen. I don't know much about it, other than just it seems to work for, I don't know, I don't know what percentage, but when it does work, it could, it could be really be life-changing because people can resume a kind of relationship with their deceased. So it's, it's pretty amazing. I think it requires a commitment too. I can just imagine when we all get to the other side and, you know, of course we want our loved ones to not feel pain and everything, but if all of a sudden, oh, they're interested in, picking up a journal and starting to write and, well, it didn't happen today. And they, they drop it. Well, 
it's not easy for them either. But when we start that conversation going, even if we think in the beginning, it's 99% us, 1% them. Like, I love how Graham said, we can't see the stars through the sun or however you said that. But it really gives us a practice of like dimming the lights a little bit so that our spirit friends can start to speak. And, and ultimately, everything we do is to help those experiencing pain and get people to live life again. I don't think anybody really wants to die because, um, you know, that we're human and there's stuff here to do and um, lives to live. But to really be comforted that when we do take that last breath, you know, we open our eyes and our loved ones are there and, you know, it might be a, everybody doing the wave or big cheering committee, but our lives here are so important. And I know that our loved ones want us to have the best life ever. So if we can do whatever it takes to help in the grieving process and have that opportunity to live life again. I mean, I think that's what this is all about. So should we go from some questions from people? Sure. Hmm. Did Karen end up having an IADC? It's implied in the documentary, but it wasn't explicitly stated. She did not communicate to me anyway that she had any after-death communication in that session, that what she got was, I can think about him without being sad. What I said to her before the sessions was something that a lot of people encounter. You know, said, well, I'm, I'm sad about them when I think about them, and that's my last contact with them, so I don't want to lose the sadness. What she got was, I can think of him and be happy and not feel like I lost him, you know, because I'm not sad. And that was life-changing for her. You know, she went into being pretty much armored against having any ADCs. I don't know if she's had any since then. She was determined not to, actually, when, I, when we met. It's true. Thank you. If you are not an IADC practitioner, where can you find classes? I am clergy too, but not a psychiatrist, psychologist, or a psychotherapist. If you guys can talk maybe a little bit about the training, and if people are interested in this, how do they find out about it? Well, it's, it's, it comes up over and over again. We're not going to train people who are not licensed mental health practitioners. And it's not because people can't learn how to do it. It's because we're trying to protect the process. A lot of the people that have contacted me are very skilled in what they do to help people. The Reiki therapists and massage therapists and chiropractors and all kinds of people I think are very capable and have uh, and have occasion to do it. What we're trying very hard to keep from happening is that this kind of gets out and becomes kind of the um, pop culture Ouija board. And who knows what's going to happen with it and who knows who's going to get it. So we've very, been very careful from the get-go about who we can train. I can't certify people um, in IDC who are not licensed. And that's been the story from the beginning. Botkin wouldn't do it. And uh, we've not had any, uh, any different indi indication from, the, from that. Grief is a deep, dark, horrible thing. And I just personally feel that there may be good books to read, good things to listen to, um, but IADC is a grief therapy first and foremost, and to be able to be in a trained, in the hands of somebody who's trained 
to really deal with some of the things that we don't know about as a trained therapist when you're dealing with a whole human being. So I think it is important. I, I don't mind at all that people go to a trained therapist to there is so. there is a screening that we we do with any any client or potential client that you know that we're we're looking for signs that this would be a contraindication for them. We're not going to exclude lots of people, but you know if you're an untreated bipolar disorder, this is not going to be a really good thing for you necessarily. This could be a real problem uh, for you. So you know we need some we need people who are able to screen for that in, in an educated way. And, and that said, if any uh, listeners are licensed health professionals who want to learn the technique, Graham does training. And I think you're even doing it virtually. Yes, uh, exclusively yeah. at this point, uh-huh. uh, which uh, was, a, was a new undertaking a couple of years ago. But what I found is that there's really no difference in, in the learning that happens. Um, like I said, it's a simple technique. It is not arcane. It's not convoluted. It's very straightforward. We'll take our last break now, and then we'll come back with Professor Jan Holden, Graham Maxey, and filmmaker Stephen Berkeley. You're listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. 
experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, the Apollo Jim Murders, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And now more Sandra on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Welcome back to Shades of the Afterlife. I'm Sandra Champlain, and we are with the crew from Living with Ghosts movie, talking about IADC grief therapy, which you can find out more at InducedADC.com. Graham, I'm assuming people can find out about getting a session at the website, but what about training? Can people also find out about the training? Geographically, you know, Mm -hmm. you can you can even find the ones in Germany, uh, and in Italy and places like that. I think we even have one. I think we have one in South Korea, if that's where you find yourself. But um, yeah, that's that's it's it's done geographically. Well, there's a good chance that the unseen world is getting people to notice this and have interest. But it also good is good for us to be able to share and, you know, sometimes it's hard to talk about these things, but I really love that we have this film that people can say, Oh my gosh, did you see this? And you have that conversation. And if you do know somebody who fits the qualifications, it really may be an asset to them because everyone, every therapist wants to help people and wants people to live their best lives. Uh, Donna is asking how can people not only watch the film, some haven't here, but how can we get the extra information? Because I know uh, we people could watch for free, but if you chose to donate, you could also get some bonus material. I think it was 20 hours of things. If you could explain, Steve, just a little bit about how you've done the premiere and the screenings, and because some people would like to watch it and how, how they can get all these good things. Okay. But first, I have to admit to everyone that I'm self-distributing and it's all new to me. So things are coming out a little bit clunky. The film made its premiere in October and we're doing private screenings right now because the film festivals where the film is still at, they prohibit filmmakers from just letting the film be shown publicly. While the film is still in the film festival circuit, I got to keep things private, which means I can come to people like you, Sandra, to host an event and everybody, all your members or listeners or viewers they can sign up and they could they could watch. And we've been doing these fundraisers where the film is free, but if you want to get the extras or if you want extended time, then you might have to, at certain donation levels, you get, you get that. It's a little incentive to donate a little bit more because, again, we're trying to get the film on PBS and that's going to be expensive. So if you put, they put their name on your waiting list, they'll be informed as to when the next screening is. 
And you can easily do that. Just go to wedontdie.com and scroll to the bottom of the page. And there's information there about living with ghosts. To follow up on how things switched in the movie, Somebody asked if any experiencers have gone on to have a continuing relationship with their partner or their deceased loved one after their physical death. And this person is saying, you know, I I had that with my partner. And I don't know about IADC clients uh, specifically, but I've read two books by men who had very ongoing communication with their disembodied wives. And I can't remember the names of either the men or their books, but I think if someone just Googles around, they'd probably find them. But it's just to say that the answer is yes, that people do have ongoing relationships with their disembodied loved ones. That uh, And these are people who are, you know, mentally healthy and otherwise functioning you know, normally and um, successful in life and blah, blah, blah. And they also have this ongoing relationship. So um, so it, it does happen. I have a question for Graham that a lot of people have asked me in these Q&As, and that is you describe the release of the trauma very well with the bilateral stimulation and how it goes from Trauma moves from one part of your brain to another part of your brain, and it, it, it assimilates. The trauma becomes part of the, the patient or, or client. But how does it result, draw a line for me, from that release of the trauma to a visit? Like, what happens? Why does a portal open during that moment? Well, it's, it's kind of like what I was um, telling Sandra before we got on, that First of all, being open to it is kind of, you know, they're not going to go, hey, I don't care what you think. I'm going to be, you know, give you this after death communication thing. You know, Uh, the other thing is how much of your attention and energy is being eaten up by the grief. You know, uh, I I just don't think people are going to be able to notice a lot of what's going on because they're so debilitated by this. What I've noticed is that after-death communication happens for two, two, there has to be two ingredients in there. You know, one is connection with the person. You know, I don't get after-death communication from JFK Jr. You know, that's that's not going to happen just because I know he's dead, regardless of what you may hear now. But the other thing is uh, need. Do I need to hear from you? I may want to, but do I need to? And the only the only thing I can figure out about that is that, yeah, you're here to do your own decisions. You know, you're not going to be dependent on people who may have a larger view of this uh, than you do. Uh, it's one reason, you know, Shannon will only read for people one time, you know, for for one particular passing. She doesn't want to be the conduit for them and have them be dependent on her or or their loved one for, you know, what should I do with the mortgage or what should I, you know, that kind of stuff, you know, that's not what they do. But I do think, I do think being open to it or having, you know, having it demonstrated. And and that's something that Kenneth Ring talked about, that you don't have to um, have a a near-death experience to be affected by near-death experience. You just have to hear about it 
uh, and and say, wow, that's kind of a different take on things, but I'm not going to reject it. You know, I'm going to I'm going to learn more about it, or I'm going I want to hear more about it. But that that in itself, without having a near death experience, can be a, an experience that changes things for you. Jan, I want to talk to you for a bit because you've got such a past with near-death experiences. And do you find, or through some of the stories of these reconnections, I mean, everybody wants to know, uh, first of all, that their loved one is still around, but you've had your own near-death experience. Can people trust that the afterlife is okay, that people are healthy, well, and whole? Well, um, I, I need to clarify that I actually have not had a near-death experience, but I've had a lot of transpersonal experiences, including okay. a near-death-like experience and uh, several after-death communications. So, okay. um, so I, uh, I'm still in the experiencer realm, but not specifically a near-death experience uh, per se. I think that the best way to answer the question is to say that both people who have had near-death experiences and people who have had after-death communication, if before the experience they did not believe in the survival of consciousness after death, after the experience they almost always do. And so the experience um, tells them that there is survival of consciousness after death, and, and it's because they have encountered their deceased loved one as whole, healthy, and so forth. So that's, I think, the the most we can say. I don't know that uh, from a purely scientific point of view, we'll ever, maybe, maybe we will. There are some ways we're trying, but haven't succeeded so far in um, in really establishing this from a scientific uh, perspective. But we have... Um, huge numbers of um, testimonials from people who have encountered their deceased loved one as whole and healthy and um, and continuing to to exist. So I think that's the best answer we have right now. Very good. There's a couple of really nice things that people say here. Mindy says, I have an ongoing relationship with my husband. I promise you it is real. Hmm. Debbie says, I love this film and it helped to see it. Thank you for allowing me to view it. It gives hope to know there can be help with grief. That's such good news. Could any of you explain more about automatic writing? There's people that are asking about how they can get started on it, what you would suggest. I know Luann Mayer is an acquaintance of Grams, and I've gotten to know her very well. She's an author and she wrote a book called Celestial Conversations which is a great book. It's a basically, a, it's a how-to book uh, regarding getting started with um, automatic writing. I can't recite the book here or even paraphrase it very well, but the idea is you pick a time of day, you bring your pad and your pen, or if you're more comfortable at the computer, that's okay too. But you sit down religiously every day for 30 days. And I think she recommends doing a little meditation first? Yeah, she, she's, she was, um, she asked me to write the foreword for her book, which is how we got acquainted. She said when her mother died and her mother had been pretty emotionally abusive to her most of her life. And then right after that, her daughter committed suicide. She was 
in terrible alcoholic uh, distress. And so she said, I was just casting around. I didn't have any place to go. So she kind of leaned back into the only thing that she had any experience with was what she said was her Catholic upbringing, which she knew how to do centering prayer. She knew how to do meditation and she knew how to do journaling. And apparently that was the three disciplines that she knew at that point. And so she started doing that. And um, that, you know, became the book. You know, she started noticing that when I'm when I've done this uh, centering prayer, when I've done this meditation, and then I do the writing regularly and scheduled wise, um, something different's happening than what I was expecting. I'm beginning to have the indication that uh, I'm being answered. She went on from there to kind of look into transpersonal psychology and um, got a lot of affirmation of, yeah, some of this stuff's not just me, it's, it's going on out there, you know? I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. Our home base is wedontdie.com. I'm Sandra Champlain. You've been listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. And if you like this episode of Shades of the Afterlife, wait until you hear the next one. Thank you for listening to the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network.